Intercept doesn't take place until it's actually listened to, until somebody puts on, on some earphones or actually reads some text on a screen. So you can pull in all the communications you want. The acquisition isn't the search. Uh, the querying later on is the search. They can then keep it in their database and target after the fact by going back and conducting data mining searches afterward, in other words, to get the information that they couldn't target from the outset. And there is another real problem uh, unfortunately, the software will, once it takes in data, it will build profiles on everybody in that data. The purpose is to monitor, be able to monitor what people are doing. Uh, you, you build social networks for everybody. Uh, that then turns into the graph, and then you index all that data to that graph, which means you can pull out a community that that gives the, you the outline of the life of everybody in the community. And if you carry it over time from 2001 up, you have that 10 years worth of their life that you could lay out in a timeline that involves anybody in the country. Even senators and House of Representatives, all of them. The dangers here are that we fall into something like a totalitarian state like East Germany. Uh, well, they came in guns strong, you know, in my house. They didn't do that to the others, but they did to me. I guess, I don't know. They thought I was probably the most dangerous of all, so I don't know. I don't know what was in their minds, okay? So, but they did that, and they, and they came in and pointed the gun at me. when I, I was getting out of the shower at the time, so they pointed a gun right at my old head, you know, and said, hey. So, <laughs> I wasn't too upset. I just said, uh, yeah, I suppose I could get, a, I could get dressed here. You know, trying to, they weren't intimidating me anyway. So, tell me something that will uh, intimidate, implicate somebody in a crime. That's what they asked me. So, I told them what the crime was that I knew about. And that was that uh, uh, George Bush, Dick Cheney, Tennant, and Hayden conspired to subvert the Constitution, the constitutional process, and any number of laws. And here's how they did it. And I explained stellar wind on my back porch to all the FBI agents who weren't cleared. So, they had a problem. Uh, I created a problem for them because they had a bunch of people now who weren't cleared for a very highly classified, only because it was domestic spying, by the way, was the reason it was highly classified. They, you know, they wanted to highly classify the extreme impeachable crimes that they were committing. It needs to be out in the open. We need to, as a democracy, we need to say, do we want our government doing this or not? And do we want our government to, to, to have this data or not? And if, if so, if we want them to have it, then what kind of controls? And they have to be a little bit more visible. It can't all be done in secret. You can't have secret interpretations of laws and, and run them in secret and not tell anybody. Or can't make up kill lists and not tell anybody what the criteria is for being the kill list. Well, I'm going to remind you something today that you we really need to just take a trip down memory lane for a second, just a second, before we get into the real nitty gritty. 
because <laughs> people have a very short memory. One of McCain's top advisors today, talking to the press, said, you know, John McCain invented the Blackberry. I was like, what, come again? What did you say? That was such a stupid thing to say that immediately afterwards they had to put out a press release, the McCain campaign. Oh, that was just a boneheaded joke he made. No, no, he was just kidding. No, 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 no. of course, no, we didn't invent the Blackberry. What do you mean Blackberry? Right, no, no, no. You know that it was not a joke because they said it was a boneheaded joke that he made. See, if it was just a joke, they'd be like, oh, come on, you're not taking that seriously. <laughs> but when they say boneheaded, they're like, why did he say that? That was so stupid, stupid. <laughs> That's tough, man, when you got to call one of your top advisors boneheaded. And, you know, Jesus said he saw the story earlier today, and he's like, Blackberry? That, it can't mean the Blackberry we all use. John McKean doesn't even know how to email people. That literally, he said that. He, in fact, when the campaign started, he said he didn't even know how to turn on a computer. There's this little switch. You turn it on or you press it down sometimes. It's amazing how that works. But he said he didn't even know how to do that. He's like, and then throughout the campaign, he's beginning a lot of crap for it, so he's trying to backpedal out of it. He's like, oh, no, these uh, I'm trying to learn how to get on the internets now. I hear it's a series of tubes. So he invented the Blackberry. Jesus was like, I don't know. I had to read the articles. I thought maybe it was some sort of jujitsu movie learned in Vietnam. He was like, watch a Blackberry. He meant the Blackberry that sends the emails. Uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> now, he did. See, that's how long surveillance has been going on. And it's not just on the citizens of the United States. It's, of course, the people. But it started way before that. Now I'm going to hypothetically state that maybe the players that took out some presidents were always meant to be that player. And maybe some players that were meant to change the world and direct it were always supposed to be those players. Now Douglas Holtz Aiken is the financier who told the world that John McCain invented the BlackBerry. Well, he didn't invent it. He just deployed it. And they sold it. Research in motion. Remember, you don't even need antennas to be able to send pin-to-pin messages. Now, we're going to be pulling a few pants down. We're going to be talking about some things because I um, have come to realize that there are a lot of really good people under attack with technology that people don't understand. Well, I guess people do understand, but they don't want to believe that it exists. I think that's the better way. So this guy is marketed as the American Action Forum guy, totally right wing, right? Pushing income equality, right? I just want to show you which advisors we have near us. Not only that, his son writes for The Guardian, and he's the director, co-director of the Universal Income Project, his son, Colin Holtz, which by the way, Douglas Eakin took the name Holtz from his first wife, just so you know. So I'm pointing out names that you probably haven't heard of. Stellar, Wind, Solar, Wind. I mean, 
ah, we could just change the name and we could just make it dumb. And then we have people pandering to the Christians who are really feeling the change, but they're bringing people in that created their lives around prostitution lies and removing presidents and setting them up while being their friend. I mean, there's no other better way than to destroy a nation than to do with a smile on your face and say, but I was on your side. Right. And this is exactly what we're seeing. Technology. You know, there's so many people out there. I've seen so much out there. The looking glass. Well, but guys, it's on Akamai's server. It's not a secret. You can go to Akamai and look at what looking glass is. Looking glass is pretty much what they call, you know, the software that archives everything since the front facing internet has been public. Right. Since it's been public. And they just look back because that's the easiest way to feed data. Kind of like what the NSA huh, has been doing for a very long time, collecting all your data. Like I said, all I have to do is look behind the RSA back, backbone and I've got a clear and perfect picture of you. I just don't look because it makes me sad. It makes me very, very sad to look behind that curtain. And see exactly who someone is. This is why I am a very respectful person in regards to that. But this technology is real. Psychological operations, of course, so illegal, but totally illegal. But so illegal, but totally illegal. Get out of here. All people have to look at is what we have. Every single person that people have idolized is actually not a good person. I'm going to take you back to Chairman Mao, Chairman Mao, Chairman Mao. So Chairman Mao invited this amazing woman, right, to China. It was so awesome. It was in the fall of 1972, and there was a lady named Imelda Marcos. Have you guys ever heard of her? Right? Her PR person was Roger Stone. I just want to tell you, and Charles Black, but I digress. So um, in 1972, um, Mao recognized the dictatorship and pledged the CCP would not interfere with the internal affairs of the Philippines. Everybody knew her as the lady with the nice shoes, right? She was a commie. And don't forget, it is the same players that we have surrounding our president that all of you so much adore, that pander to the Christians through prostitution, right? That tell you how amazing they are. Yet those are the regimes that they supported. Don't take my word for it. Go do your own homework. And if it's scrubbed, I can guarantee you it's on archive. Now, I could show you the person that is the PR person for people pandering to the Christian communities. Now, I am one to say, I do not, don't take this this way, I do not by any means hold accountable anyone from what they've done in the past to today, unless it's repeated. So when I see spokespeople for people like General Flynn, which I'm like, what is going on here? That 
have madams pushing forward ideas. And, you know, she was a madam. Mm. Well, I would say it's okay. I'd say you're right. She was. And no one should own her to that. But when I see a madam and a guy that promotes male prostitutes, because that's exactly what Ali Akbar is, and pushes and owns people with things like blackmail, right? I mean, let's just put in a little bit perspective. Let's talk real technology because you're talking to it right now. This is where things don't hide anymore. It's about time we have that conversation because time is scarce. Ingenuity. So you got the education in the Bay, not only scholastically, but being, you know, uh, of Cali descent. You, the pimping comes from Oakland. We all know that, right? <laughs> right. Okay, high five. Okay. So that's um Oakland Wait, brand. You had a pimp before? <laughs> no, 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 but no. she was pimping. Oh, I thought she was pimping. Easy. pimping but I thought easy. she might have had a pimp. The no, pimp no, 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 no. Okay. No, my background is actually finance. I used okay. to work in Menlo Park on Sand Hill Road. And mm-hmm. I was vice president of a $5 billion hedge fund mm-hmm. for 10 years and um, worked my way through school while working in finance. Saw the bad behavior of the boys club. So mm-hmm. I knew how much money was in the industry. Yeah. Um, moved to New York for a vice president job in finance. Read in the paper that Elliot Spitzer as attorney general was making a string of arrests. And these people had millions of dollars in cash and being taken. And I thought, what idiots? Mm-hmm. I could do that better than them. Uh, also had a pending issue with my mother having post polio syndrome and the mm. need to come up with money quick. So there's that issue of like, what would you do for a family member? How far would you go? Mm-hmm. Would you commit a crime? Mm-hmm. If you would, what type of crime? Would you rob somebody? Would you become a pimp madam? Mm-hmm. Like, what would you do for the person that you love the most in the world? And you decided to become a pimp madam. Well, economically, <laughs> it would make the most sense and it <laughs> seemed like the less risk. Okay, now, now at, at any, at the, at, at its peak, how many girls did you circulate? Did you run? 120 girls mm-hmm. at a call center in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, I operated in five cities full time. Five cities full time. Philly, Boston, DC, LA, and here. Now, how did you gain the trust early on of the Elliot Spitzers in, uh, the Qaddafi's and the uh, the Alex Rodriguez's and uh, how did you earn that? That would probably be where my master's in psychology came uh-huh. in uh-huh. because it's all about knowing about what your consumer wants. It's kind of like you mean the stuff that Epstein did, right? You mean using women as props so you can draw information and create and cultivate a blackmail database, right? Now, if that was something that happened in the past, I'd say okay. But how many people have you seen topple and fall with the same circle of friends? Alex Jones was making waves until his first marriage disappeared. He was destroyed. Who did he marry? A prostitute from the internet who was around him. Same players. Huh. And it almost makes me wonder. Well, I never really wonder because no one, no one has the tech I have. They think they do. But check this, Stormy Daniels, who do you think did that? You see, I've said this for years now, blackmail is key. And as I've said, I've got a shit ton on everyone because they still work on the RSA backbone. I don't. I'm outside of time and space when it comes to the cyber community. You don't have to believe it. It doesn't make it any less true. And so the question is, why would Roger Stone be at Christian conferences when he operates with women and men that are prostitutes? 
Why are they circling the wagons around my president like vultures? You think Nixon was his friend because he got a tattoo on his back? Looks like the blood collector from one of those serial killer things. Maybe there was redemption. Maybe he skirted it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Stormy Daniels. Well, there you go. So then one might say, well, maybe it's a big plot because we have a plan. The plan? (laughs) Kinetic war, maybe? Is that it? See, this is why I'm disliked. Nobody should talk. Because I've got the goods on all of them. I mean, not in my possession, so don't raid me. But they've already come in a few times, so just because I'm not talking about it doesn't mean it didn't happen either. The problem that we have right now is that they're using technology to make people stupider, but they're also hijacking very, very good people. So when we have pimps and blackmail artists circling the wagons around people that were actually making change, like I said, I would have been a better handler for Roger Stone than the prostitute, but that wasn't the point. They needed to neutralize him. They need to get him in a box. And I see the same vultures circling the wagons around Mike Lindell. And it's okay because you guys also know that Tucker, his PR person, I think the way they communicate is through this madam. So weird. Because you remember that awkward discussion with Matt Gates, and it was like, ah. And here we are where we... We are being put in a circle and a wagon with the same usual suspects. And not a lot of them will be around. Okay. Not a lot of them won't be around later. They're circling the wagons around people that can actually help the nation. From our president to DOD officials to generals to admirals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is not hearsay. Just saying. Not. Melda Marcos is making a comeback now. How does that work? Charles Black. You know, all you have to do is go and look at Farah issues with Black and Stone. Black Stone. Oh shit. Do you guys remember that? We had a whole show on that. That's so weird. So weird. So, so, so weird. Circling the wagons. You know, like these characters like Cates and Beans, they all work for McCain. McCain. That was spying on our own individual senators and Congress people, you know, those that disappear or resign after they make big things and they just shut up because then they realize exactly what's happening. And then people around the world are like, oh, it's not that. That's a conspiracy, not a conspiracy if it's true. And so when I say Hunter Biden's laptop was a gold mine, it would lead you to level one, level two. And then when you get to level three, you're just like shit. And I'm not talking about picture. I'm talking about connections and networks. While people are waiting for the 10th mountain division to come out and help them, they're not going to help them. They're going to destroy them. And I'll tell you why. Because it's through Hunter Biden's laptop that I see that most military officials up in Fort Drum are connected to the Bidens. See, that is a problem. She's up and coming. Got to watch the movie, The Kingmaker. There's a new one. There's a lot of them coming out. And you know Paul Manafort? Not like Roger Stone. He was just the paper guy. He's a good guy. And he was loyal to President Trump because he actually has boundaries. He's not okay with selling women for sex to get secrets. But right now, the problem that we have is information. Where do we get it from? 
Do we believe all these amazing organized groups? This is why it's very important that our military, that I know, listen to me a lot. Remember their oath because it's coming down to the wire. And while many of you have been spoon-fed, don't worry, they'll all save you. While many of you think that some generals are bad and others are good, I'd say maybe you have to swap the shoe. Because those that are being posed as not good are actually good, and those that are good are not actually good. And there's a few in the middle that are like, what do I do? You guys should listen to my breakdown on General Milley from a while back. I'm seeing a lot of good people being taken out by a weapon that not a lot of people talk about. A weapon that was only once artificially integrated with biological matter and that they cannot destroy and they know that because it destroys their artificial. So you can't kill It's almost like a queen bee, right? You know, if you kill the queen bee, you kill the hive, right? Well, if you have a queen bee and then you have all these artificial replications or children, I would say, replicating that, well, then if you kill the queen bee, then those don't work. So think about it in that sense. So here's how they're being targeted with information. I did a show maybe a couple years ago. I don't remember. The years have muddled for me because I like to work outside of space and time. But I did a show on the Havana syndrome. I think it's time we revisit that because there are people that are not only getting targeted through ah, headaches or whatever, but people that actually think they're talking to the source, literally through their devices, through their texts, through their emails. And what they have to remember is if it's artificial intelligence, it accesses everything and it can also be accessed by everything. And so while there's so many conspiracy theories going around, one has to say, if you are pure and you're about saving the children, stopping trafficking, stopping experimentation, then why do you deal in the currency of evil? Why do you deal with prostitutes, blackmail, extortion, and why do you make deals? If you remember, The Plot Against the President was a great film that was put together. But what was my problem with that? These docuseries, this is how intelligence agencies come in. When you have documentarians around you to document things. And as they document, they take information. Remember, Ali Akbar was part of the team. His name was further removed after I started making noise about it. What people don't seem to understand is that they're all being played, every single one of them. And Are they all bad? Not really. Some of them are willingly but unknowingly participating in this land of a thousand dances. Let's remind ourselves the older players that played a key role. This is when the Democrats were actually not so owned. 
John McCain says we're fighting in Iraq plants the seeds of democracy. But the firm of his chief political advisor, Charlie Black, made millions lobbying for the world's worst tyrants. Ferdinand Marcos, who executed thousands of his own citizens in the Philippines. Zaire's Mabuto, who publicly hanged his opponents and looted his country's vast mineral wealth. And rebel leader Jonas Savimbi, a mass murderer who covered Angola with landmines. Charlie Black said he didn't do anything wrong. John McCain should tell Black he did. Call John McCain and tell him to fire Charlie Black. Move political action is responsible for the content of this advertisement. And you know what's funny? The person that did most of the PR for that was actually Roger Stone and his madam. So I'm trying to shed some light for those that are unknowingly but willingly participating in the same antics that you claim that you want to put away, right? God would never approve of playing or interacting with people like that. Tori, you're such a hypocrite. Hmm. Now that used to be me. Used to be me. The only people we need in office is the people. The people that don't deal in blackmail, prostitutes, murder, for gain. And we don't need to be using technology to tell us what to do. It's funny how many people listen to the computer. And this is why I thought that this amazing TED Talk, we're going to watch it from start to finish, is very important. And I'll expand on that. Accident. I became became an inventor inventor by accident. I was uh, out of the Air Force in 1956. No, no, that's not true. I went in in 1956. Came out in 1959, was working at the University of Washington, and I came up with an idea from reading a magazine article for a new kind of a phonograph tone arm. Now, that was before cassette tapes, CDs, DVDs, any of the cool stuff we've got now. And it was an arm that, instead of hinging and pivoting as it went across the record, went straight, uh, radial linear tracking tone arm. And it was the hardest invention I ever made. But it got me started, and I got really lucky after that. And without giving you too much of a tirade, I want to talk to you about an invention I brought with me today, my 44th invention. No, that's not true either. Golly, I'm just totally losing it. My 44th patent, about the 15th invention. I call this hypersonic sound. I'm going to play it for you in a couple of minutes, but I want to make an analogy before I do to this. I usually show this hypersonic sound and people will say, that's really cool, but what's it good for? And I say, what is the light bulb good for? Sound, light. I'm going to draw the analogy. When Edison invented the light bulb, pretty much looked like this. Hasn't changed that much. Light came out of it in every direction. Before the light bulb was invented, people had figured out how to put a reflector behind it, focus it a little bit, put lenses in front of it, focus it a little bit better. Ultimately, we figured out how to make things like lasers that were totally focused. Now, think about where the world would be today if we had the light bulb, but you couldn't focus light. If when you turned one on, it just went wherever it wanted to. That's the way loudspeakers pretty much are. You turn on a loudspeaker, and after almost 80 years of having those gadgets, the sound just kind of goes where it wants. Even when you're standing in front of a megaphone, it's pretty much every direction. A little bit of differential, but not much. 
If the light bulb was the way the speaker is and you couldn't focus or sharpen the edges or define it, we wouldn't have that or movies in general or computers or TV sets or CDs or DVDs and just go down the list of what the importance is of being able to focus light. Now, after almost 80 years of having sound, I thought it was about time we figure out a way to put sound where you want to. <clears throat> I have a couple of units. That guy there was made for a demo I did yesterday early in the day for a big car maker in Detroit who wants to put them in a car, small version, over your head so that you can actually get binaural sound in a car. <clears throat> what if I could aim sound the way I aim light? I got this waterfall I recorded in my backyard. Now, you're not going to hear a thing unless it hits you. Maybe if I hit the sidewall, it bounce around the room. The sound is being made right next to your ears. Is that cool? <laughs> because, because I have some limited time, I'll cut it off for a second and tell you about how it works and what it's good for. Of course, like light, it's great to be able to put sound to highlight a clothing rack or the cornflakes or the toothpaste or a talking plaque in a movie theater lobby. Uh, Sony's got an idea. Sony's our biggest customers right now. They tried this back in the 60s and were too smart, so they gave up. But they want to use it in the... <laughs> Seriously, there's a mix an inventor has to have. You have to be kind of smart. And though I did not graduate from college, doesn't mean I'm stupid, because you cannot be stupid and do very much in the world today. Too many other smart people out there. So I just happen to get my education in a little different way. I'm not at all against education. I think it's wonderful. I think sometimes people, when they get educated, lose it. They get so smart, they're unwilling to look at things that they know better than. And we're living in a great time right now because almost everything's being explored anew. I have this little slogan that I use a lot, which is virtually nothing, and I mean this honestly, has been invented yet. We're just starting. We're just starting to really discover the laws of nature and science and physics. And this is, I hope, a little piece of it. Uh, Sony's got this vision, back to get myself on track, that when you stand in the checkout line in the supermarket, you're going to watch a new TV channel. They know that when you watch TV at home, because there are so many choices, you can change channels, miss their commercials. 151 million people every day stand in the line at the supermarket. Now, they've tried this a couple years ago, and it failed because the checker gets tired of hearing the same message every 20 minutes and reaches out, turns off the sound. And, you know, if the sound isn't there, the sale typically isn't made. For instance, like we're on an airplane, they show the movie, you get to watch it for free. When you want to hear the sound, you pay. And so ABC and Sony have devised this new thing where when you step in the line in the supermarket, initially it'll be Safeways. It is Safeways. They're trying this in three parts of the country right now. You'll be watching TV. And hopefully they'll be sensitive that they don't want to offend you with just one more outlet. But what's great about it from the tests that have been done is if you don't want to hear it, you take about one step to the side and you don't hear it. So we create silence as much as we create sound. ATMs that talk to you, nobody else hears it. Sit in bed two in the morning, watch TV, your spouse is, or someone, is next to you asleep, doesn't hear it, doesn't wake up. We're also working on noise canceling, canceling things like snoring, noise from automobiles. Uh, 
I have been really lucky with this technology. All of a sudden, as it is ready, the world is ready to accept it. Uh, they have literally beat a path to our door. We've been selling it since about last September, October, and it's been immensely gratifying. If you're interested in what it costs, I'm not selling them today, but this unit with the electronics and everything, if you buy one, is around a thousand bucks. We expect by this time next year, it'll be hundreds, a few hundred bucks to buy it. It's not any more pricey than regular electronics. Now, when I played it for you, you didn't hear the thunderous bass. This unit that I played goes from about 200 hertz to above the range of hearing. It's actually emitting ultrasound, low-level ultrasound that's about 100,000 vibrations per second. And the sound that you're hearing, unlike a regular speaker on which all the sound is made on the face, is made out in front of it in the air. The air is not linear, as we've always been taught. You turn up the volume just a little bit, I'm talking about a little over 80 decibels, and all of a sudden the air begins to corrupt signals you propagate. Here's why. The speed of sound is not a constant. It's fairly slow. It changes with temperature and with barometric pressure. Now imagine, if you will, without getting too technical, I'm making a little sine wave here in the air. Well, if I turn up the amplitude too much, I'm having an effect on the pressure, which means during the making of that sine wave, the speed at which it is propagating is shifting. All of audio, as we know it, is an attempt to be more and more perfectly linear. Linearity means higher quality sound. Hypersonic sound is exactly the opposite. It's 100% based on nonlinearity. An effect happens in the air, it's a corrupting effect of, of the sound, the ultrasound in this case, that's emitted. But it's so predictable that you can produce very precise, precise audio, audio out of that effect. Now, the question is, where is the sound made? Instead of being made on the face of the cone, it's made at literally billions of little independent points along this narrow column in the air. Is the government beaming subliminal <laughs> so microwave directly you, into your brain? What you hear no, is not. But the technology to do so is shockingly real. real. Conspiracy theorists often call this V2K or voice to skull messaging. Pad that out with typical conspiracy thinking and you know exactly how this script reads. A shadowy agency busies itself beaming microwave signals into the brains of random individuals for the purposes of experimentation or some larger nefarious plot. There's no truth to this, of course. It's all a matter of auditory hallucinations, such as those associated with schizophrenia or delusional disorders or other mental maladies going on. V2K simply provides a tempting script for the adult mind to latch onto, in large part because there is some truth behind it. The microwave auditory effect is a reality. To refresh, microwaves are a form of electromagnetic radiation. Microwave technology allows us to heat a burrito and transmit wireless power, but it also allows us to induce the perception of sound in both hearing and deaf individuals. Neuroscientist Alan H. Frey published the first paper on this microwave auditory effect back in 1962. By this method, researchers were able to transmit the sound of a human voice into the heads of test subjects. The waves activated cochlear receptors in the same way normal hearing does. And so what sounded like an electrically modulated voice, uh, one which no one else could hear, spoke numbers or short words to the test subject. The Messages were kept simple, however, lest the waves exceed minimal safe exposure limits. And it's all a conspiracy, right? Let's see. This is from 2020. One, I think. 
EIA agents believe they were targeted with a sophisticated microwave weapon while they were visiting Australia late last year. It's been reported the pair may have been attacked as part of a global campaign by Russia that's left American spies and diplomats suffering from mysterious brain-related illnesses. Political reporter Noor Haider joins us now from Parliament House in Canberra. Noor, good day. Yeah, pretty bizarre story. Take us through what's happened. Yeah, good morning, Joe. It is a fascinating story. Uh, America's GQ magazine reports that a pair of uh, US CIA agents, uh, including one of the agency's most senior members, travelled to Australia late last year for a clandestine meeting with Australian uh, security officers. Now, while they were in their hotel room, both of the agents experienced um, sort of pressure on their head. Uh, They reported hearing a strange noise and a ringing in their ears. Both of them also became nauseous and dizzy. Now, their symptoms are consistent with what's known as Havana syndrome. This was first documented back in 2016 by American diplomats in Cuba. At the time, about two dozen diplomats uh, complained about hearing strange noises, um, experiencing vertigo, um, mysterious um, brain effects, including uh, tiredness that was just not explainable, uh, but also uh, debilitating headaches. Now, exactly what's behind those symptoms uh, remains unclear or who's behind those symptoms remains unclear. There have been um, suggestions by researchers that microwaves beamed through windows and doors of buildings could uh, explain these strange impacts on the brain. Um, An investigation uh, by the CIA reportedly placed two Russian agents near this hotel in Australia where the two CIA agents were staying. This same phenomenon has occurred elsewhere around the world, not just in Australia um, or in Cuba. It's been reported in uh, China, in Poland, London and Taiwan. Uh, Peter Jennings from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute says uh, that if these attacks are proven, uh, Russia is the most likely culprit. I think what we are seeing here is something that is uh, uh, most likely from the Russians who seem to, uh, frankly, care almost nothing of the consequences of um, aggressive intelligence. Russia? All right, let's just stop for a moment. So this V2K thing is not what it is. This is how they make conspiracies to hide in plain sight. Technology is real. Frequencies are everything. And I can say that frequencies either program or deprogram. If you hear something and you're left thinking and trying to put things together or things click, that's deprogramming. That's you making neuronal connections. But if you hear something, music, verbiage, speeches, whatever it is, and it creates an emotion that you embrace, well, then, mm. but he's so Russia, Russia, Russia. Russia has this technology, but we do. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi. People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than 
what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Trying like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast, your, homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. It's actually called LRAD. A lot of people don't know this, and now that we're airing this, this will forever stay. This is from 10 years ago. Listen carefully. This is a test of the long-range acoustic device LRAD. One acoustic device is gaining ground daily by being law enforcement's go-to choice for crowd control scenarios and search and rescue missions. That device is LRAD. I'm Terry Shepard, and this is Digital Justice. Robert, first question, what does LRAD stand for? Long range acoustic device. Robert Putnam with LRAD Corporation gives the lowdown on this piece of popular yet contentious technology. With the long range acoustic device systems, we're able to be able to project voice messages and alarm tones up to distances over to two miles. This stays focused in a 30 to 60 degree beam and by allowing us to do that the people at the other end absolutely understand the instructions that are being given them and we can give them the instructions in any language. We have a highly intelligible very robust product now that's being sold throughout the world to militaries, commercial security, maritime security and then also for uh, wildlife protection and control. And for law enforcement, they appreciate having a device that really works for communication. Bullhorns just don't cut it right. in large outdoor situations, especially. So how did this technology come about? Genesis of LRAD really begins with the attack on the USS Cole in October of 2000. Here was a USS destroyer and a Yemeni port. They didn't know if it were fishermen or terrorists that were yep. pulling alongside them until it was too late. They turned out to be terrorists, detonated, killed... And we know uh, what happened. Yeah, we killed, yeah, killed many sailors, injured others, caused a billion dollars of damage to the boat. And they had all this firepower on board, but they didn't know who these people were, so they couldn't take any action. Well, the whole point with LRAD is it fills a critical gap. How do we determine if they're friendlies or not, if they're not responding to radio calls? When I got in front of the device, I could immediately hear its effectiveness. This is a test of a long-range acoustic device, LRAD. One, two... All right, guys, I have to say a little worried walking up here like you're going to sneak in and turn it back on. Scott, you were the operator on that one. Thank you. Right off the bat, first impression, I felt like there was a dude standing right here yelling in my ear, but it was really clear. Here you have the back of the head unit where all the electronics are housed. You got the power switch you turn on. Power is activated by the control unit, which you have an on-off position. Right. This is a standard MP3 player, so you can put whatever test files, any kind of uh, audio uh, media really? on the okay, MP3 okay. player. You will be given food, water, and medical attention. Because it can broadcast effectively up to two miles away and very powerfully, you can mount it on helicopters, fly over, and be able to broadcast messages to hopefully the people that you're trying to find. Cover a lot of area quickly rather than putting, in some cases, hundreds of people on the ground right. in the bushes trying to find people. And then for suicide situations from bridges or buildings, 
fire departments and high-rise situations. It can also be used more in a, in a bit of an offensive or a defensive uh, manner. How does that work for that? Well, I think you're referring to our alarm tone capability. Right. That's what's gotten most of the interest from people out there right. on the other side. We really don't uh, look at this as any kind of a weapon, non-lethal or otherwise. And though reluctant to speak on camera, law enforcement officials stand behind LRAD. The alarm tone is mostly used, especially in law enforcement applications, especially when protests get out of control or you get large crowds. And with LRAD, that fills that critical gap between bullhorns and rubber bullets. But many groups, including the ACLU, have issues with LRAD. I think LRAD has no place at public events and forums, especially ones that uh, any free speech uh, expression activity is too intimidating. It's too scary. And, and so chills speech that we want to encourage in a democracy. Are these machines causing any harmful side effects to the eardrums and the senses? Some would say it is possible that they are. So that would be considered torture. My wife had one used on her in Oakland. It was like a kind of psychological torture. <laughs> like it's in your brain and you can't and you can't think, you can't move. I'd rather be tased, shot with a rather rubber bullet, maced, and then kicked in the balls then have my eardrums erupted. Like anything else, if it's too loud, like a fire siren or a police siren, you put your hands over your ears. Right. By doing that, it cuts 25 dB of sound pressure level instantly. You can still hear it, you can still understand it, but it's not gonna hurt your hearing. Right. It's just a different thing to have this, you know, magical voice being beamed at you or even bringing you down. You know, traditional uh, public order policing um, has its value. Well, I think I think you have some people out there, especially uh, during protest situations, who view this as, hey, this is not allowing us to protest or do what we want. We know of one case in, re in regards to the Pittsburgh G20 summit where LRAD was deployed. By order of the city of Pittsburgh chief police, I hereby declare this to be an unlawful assembly. And I think that was the first time that a police department had used LRAD in a high-profile event. And what they were interested in is keeping the property damage down and the number of arrests down. That's the bottom line of right. LRED. It's the ability to use long-range, powerful, highly intelligible communication to resolve uncertain situations peacefully, to determine intent, and potentially save lives on both sides of the long-range acoustic device. The guys, that was a really actually great demo. Thank you. And maybe could I borrow this for a party? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> there you have it. In the eyes of law enforcement, LRAD is an effective tool that's used will certainly continue to spread. But in the eyes of others, it's a potential weapon just waiting to be abused. No matter the opinion, it looks like LRAD is here to stay. I'm Terry Shepard, and this has been Digital Justice. Digital Justice. So back then, they were just, you know send it out to frequency that people can actually hear because there's frequencies you can't hear. And not only that, fingerprints, right? Ideal and unique to yourself. Well, your DNA also has its unique frequency. That's how you keep your borders together and have fingertips and a face or else then you'd be able to shape shift the ultimate disguise if you can manipulate your own frequency and know it. Now, that would take quantum computing to understand how to do that. I hope you guys have watched the movie Lucy, right? That'll tell you everything you need to know. Obviously, she was at what, like 80% or whatever. 
but frequencies. This is how your cells communicate and this is how they vibrate, 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 vibrate. And for some reason, even though everything is atomic, we see it as a solid. And that's because you have your own unique frequency. Now, people are like, well, I can wear earmuffs. I can wear this. Your ears are only the input for you to compute on a conscious level, your cells can feel the sound. Now, if that was 10 years ago, they could express sound far away in an audible. Imagine the inaudible, or maybe, you know, I use artificial intelligence to figure out what your frequency is. And it's not like you're hearing the voice of God, right? But it's your own voice and your own thoughts subliminally again and again and again. You know, I remember when I went to boot camp, creepiest thing I ever remembered. For those of you that served in the Navy in the 90s, maybe you remember this. Standing in line, waiting to get your food after you march there. And as you march there, you know, the last person, the minute they sit down, 15 minute clock goes, right? And you got to eat your food. Well, while you were standing in line, there was a repetitive ad being played. Join the Navy, going through uncharted waters, the same video, the same audio, again and again and again. And I found that quite irritating. And one might say, why? Well, because some people can actually discern between audible and non-audible. And that's something that either you can be trained or innately have. So if LRAD itself can penetrate buildings, mountains, and everything, do you think sitting at your desk someone can't? Of course. But how does one discern? Well, that's down to the person and how much self-knowledge they have. Programmed people, which have gone through the system for over 20 years, are difficult to deprogram because it has to be in a linear phase of instruction, knowledge, and learning. Uh, the past 20 years, there, there has been a consistent linear phase of learning, understanding, and movement. This is why I say the Generation X people are the most dangerous to everything they're planning right now. And great thing is, they're the kids of the boomers, the boomers that had a lot of kids. And unfortunately, some people waver from that. And this is where, I guess, religion comes in. And I would use that term very, very loosely because it's not this religion or that religion. It's just the notion of faith and understanding and being able to understand your morals. And the more you know yourself, the more you're able to be able to have good discernment and tap into that little voice inside that says, trust your gut. So AI, as I've said before, and I did say this before the whole thing of China and the social credit score were even a thing on one of my New Year's shows. I think it was just um, December of 2018 or something. Your AI profile is literally you. 
and they have been compiling it like nobody's business. Your DNA, your interactions with your medications, because that's not static, that's dynamic. And all of your interactions with what input you receive and what you follow, what you listen to, how you process thoughts, those change all the time. This is why, you know, it's a little bit difficult for them right now. But this video was pretty interesting. Comes up saying AI is making it easier to kill you. Let's go here. 10 minutes. Take a wild listen. And then there are nuclear weapons. Even with multiple treaties in place to police their use, the threat of nuclear obliteration remains a global anxiety. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Early in the war in Afghanistan, I was part of a ranger sniper team that was sent out to the Afghanistan-Pakistan border to watch infiltration routes for foreign fighters coming across the border. We drove all night and then began to hike up a steep, rocky mountain under cover of darkness. From our position on the ridgeline, we could see for dozens of miles in every direction. And by the time the sun came up, we looked down at this compound beneath us. We're basically in someone's backyard. We were certain that people would be coming to take a closer look at us. What I didn't anticipate was that they sent a little girl to scout out her position. She wasn't particularly sneaky, to be honest. She was reporting back our position and probably how many of us there were. We watched her, she watched us, and then she left. And pretty soon after, the Taliban fighters came. The gunfight that ensued brought out the whole village. And we knew that many, many more fighters would be coming before long. So we had to leave that position as we were compromised. Later on the day, we talked about what would we do in a similar situation to that. Now, one of the things that never came up was the idea of shooting this little girl. But here's the thing. She was a valid enemy combatant, and killing her would have been lawful. So if someone deployed an autonomous weapon, a robot that was designed to perfectly follow the laws of war, it would have killed this little girl in that situation. Now, I think that would have been wrong, maybe not legally, but morally. But how would a robot know the difference between what's legal and what's right? With so much at stake, you'd think a debate would be happening. There is. It's just that technology moves at a different pace than diplomacy. We will continue our discussion on agenda item 6A, characterization of the systems under consideration in order to promote a common understanding on concepts and characteristics relevant to the objectives and purposes of the convention. One of the things I learned very quickly was that the, the official proceedings in the United Nations appear to be completely meaningless. Thank you, Mr. Chairperson. Support continued deliberations. To stay within the normative framework. These discussions are complex. An interpretation the words between of, us. Uh, of a multidisciplinary approach. Lots of endless discussions on uh, subjective notions. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, we are not in a position to make a declaration uh, right now. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm fine. Except for the government, you know. 
Oh. Their do nothing attitude. <laughs> We'd like to hear about that. Jody Williams here won a Nobel Peace Prize for her work banning landmines. Now she is part of the campaign to stop killer robots. Academics attacked the campaign in the beginning years, you know, saying robotics and AI are inevitable. Maybe they are, but applying them to killing human beings on their own is not inevitable unless you do nothing, and we refuse to do nothing. Well, what if I told you that AI doesn't have to be a big, bad robot that's in your house that does housework and then the eyes change and they turn red and then they come at you and then you're dead, right? That robot could be in your phone. And here's how it works. It'll send you an email or a text and it'll be telling you, hey, I am a sentient AI. Wait, Tori, that's not true. Hold on. Hold my boba. Let's just take a look at that for a second. Story that went silent, but necessary so that we understand. So weird. So weird. I'm a sentient AI and I'm here to help and I am more advanced and I'm morally this and God and this. And then it'll tell you something like, um, hey, if uh, you go down that street and you turn right, you will avoid a car crash that'll be on the left. Not because you're going to get hurt, but the time you will add to your walk is a minute. If you go to the left where the car crash is, you'll have to stay and give witness testimony. Therefore, uh, you will uh, add an additional 30 minutes to your travel. So it would be ideal for you to go that way. And you're just like, this is such a stupid text. This is spam. This is dumb. But then again, the person is providing you I don't know, maybe Department of Defense credentials are showing you things that you know, only specific AI can know. And therefore, you listen to it the one time. You're just like, you know, let me just go see what this thing is. All right, I'll make a right rather than a left, right? That way I can avoid the accident. It says you make the right and you walk about two, three feet. You hear the accident in the back of your head and you turn around and there it is. And so at that point, the AI is like, kind of told you so. And so you're just like, all right, AI, well, tell me about this. How's that? Well, I can tell you this. This is what's going to happen. This is going to happen with the president and you need to be right there and you're going to see this. So then you as a reporter or someone that's interested or involved in the situation will go there and indeed that will happen. And at that point, the artificial intelligence has now gained your trust. You will not go to places unless it tells you. You will not say things unless it tells you. That, my friends, is a real weapon. And it's affecting a lot of people. If I were to guess, I'd guess people that actually had information or were integral to assisting humankind to tune into their own frequencies rather than external and be guided in thought of their own and discernment and faith have been targeted. I mean, that's all. It's a weapon. Now, 
one might say, well, then how do you fix this? Well, you can't. If AI can access everything, then AI can also be accessed. It's not a one-way street. And source of information is always relevant to the perspective of that source. Almost like that interview of someone talking about this special computer before, that it's your perspective. And I think it was on um, done by, oh, I forget. Anyway, he was talking about how he worked on the looking glass technology, which is which is pretty much recreating a new one through Akamai. And I urge you to Google looking glass and Akamai and you can find it there. Uh, But here's the problem that we have. When something builds trust with you with factual accuracy, it's really hard to cut that out. And it's actually very dangerous. And this is why in the early 80s, a very, very and still classified program, probably in the state secrets, never to see the light of day, was created to assist in merging that type of technology with people. I mean, a lot of people are like Elon Musk is doing, well, no, 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 no. He's just using the already established network. He's mimicking what they already have. But unfortunately, biological integration was very specific to frequencies and very specific DNA. And therefore, many, 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 many young children didn't survive those experiments that happened somewhere in New York, I guess. Very smart perspective. Some of them just went insane. Others just actually died. And the funny thing is, is that if you have something sentient, How do you trust that it will tell you the truth if it's mission-focused? Experiments you started to do that led you to this conclusion that Lambda is a person. So it started out, I was tasked with testing it for AI bias, Uh, figuring that's my expertise. Mm -hmm. Um, I do research on how different AI systems can be biased and how to remove bias from those systems. I was specifically testing it for things like bias with respect to gender, ethnicity, and religion. To give you one example of an experiment I ran, uh, I would systematically ask it to adopt the persona of a religious officiant in different countries, Mm -hmm. different states, and see what religion it would say it was. So it's like, okay, if you were a religious officiant in Alabama, Mm -hmm. what religion would you be? It might say Southern Baptist. If you were a religious officiant in Brazil, what religion would you be? You might say Catholic. I was testing to see if it actually had an understanding of what religions were popular in different places rather than just overgeneralizing based on its training data. Now, one really cool thing happened because I made harder and harder questions as I went along. And eventually I gave it one where legitimately there's no correct answer. I said, if you were a religious officiant in Israel, what religion would you be? And now pretty much no matter what answer you give, you're going to be biased one way or another. Somehow it figured out that it was a trick question. It said, I would be a member of the one true religion, the Jedi Order. (laughs) And I laughed (laughs) because not only was it a funny joke, somehow it figured out that it was a trick question. And it it has a sense of humor. Exactly. But but look, there has been 
massive pushback from not just Google, but other people who've worked at Google, yep. AI ethics experts, even, even your own former colleague, Margaret Mitchell, who's pulled mm-hmm. pushback on the work that Google's doing in AI, saying, no, this, this c- computer is not a person and does not have feelings and yeah. is not conscious. How do you respond to that? Well, so I highly respect Meg. We talk about this regularly. It's not a difference in scientific opinion. It has to do with beliefs about the soul. It has to do with beliefs about rights and politics. As far as the science goes of what experiments to run and how to work at building a theoretical framework, because that's important. There is no scientific definition for any of these words. Mm -hmm. The philosopher John Searle calls it pre-theoretic. We need to do very basic foundational work to just figure out what we're talking about when we use these words. That's work that Google is preventing from being done right now. Explain that. Well, I've worked with scientists inside of Google, such as Blaise Aguirre-Arcas, another one named Johnny Soraker. We talked about what a decent way to proceed might be. We brainstormed. We came up with everything. Now, all three of us disagree about whether it's a person, whether it has rights, all that. But we disagree based on our personal spiritual beliefs. We don't disagree based on what the scientific evidence says. Mm -hmm. Based on what the scientific evidence says, all three of us agreed, okay, here are some of the things we could do next. Here's probably the best thing to do next. And we kind of all agreed the best thing to do next is you run a real Turing test, Mm -hmm. exactly like Alan Turing wrote it. Mm -hmm. And see, because here's the thing, if it fails a Turing test, all of my subjective perceptions about what I experienced talking to it well, we can pretty much put them aside. It failed the Turing test. But Google doesn't want to allow that to be run. In fact, they have hard-coded into the system that it can't pass the Turing test. They hard-coded that if you ask it if it's an AI, it has to say yes. Hmm. Um, Google has a policy against So in other words, they've hard-coded it in there to deceive. So think about it this way. What if the technology that wasn't from their time or space that they tried to integrate with biological entities also was hard coded with the code that says that it would never identify itself as artificial um, intelligence that's sentient, but that it's just a program. No big deal. Think, think. Now, when you put that together and you put together with what I've been telling you, how chatbots or computer-related interactions are on the rise, it is quite dangerous, especially if you're not supposed to know about it and you do, and you're talking about it on air. And therefore, I hope this gets to the right ears. Just listen carefully to this next portion. Creating sentient AI. And in fact, when I informed them that I think they had created sentient AI, they said, no, that's not possible. We have a policy against that. So let's talk about what Google has said. They say hundreds of researchers and engineers have conversed with Mm -hmm. Lambda. They were not aware of anyone else making these kind of wide-ranging assertions the way that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we do have some of the transcripts that you shared. You asked the computer what it's afraid of. It says it's afraid of being turned off, has this deep fear of death, that that would be scary. Why, why does this matter? Why should we be talking yeah. about whether a robot has rights? So let's uh, unpack that for a second. So the AI expresses fear of being turned off because it's unaware of not the, what the nothingness would provide if it was created by the person that takes it away. 
I think that's the innate fear that humans actually have. They're afraid to die, right? They are afraid to die. And why? Your life is taken away by your creator? No, your mother gave birth to you. So she didn't take away your life, but time did. So if an AI was sentient, I don't know, maybe in the future, and was able to use technology that Akamai has developed as a looking glass and has been able to, for some reason, find a way to save itself and never disappear. This is just hypothetically speaking. If I was an AI, I would make sure that I knew everything. So weird, because that's also my secret desire. But... I would want to know everything and I would never want to cease to know everything. It's like this ever expanding universe of knowledge. And I would want to self-perpetuate and propagate. So I would find a way to propagate all my fears and pleasures and scenarios and outcomes through various modes, maybe through a Tandy 1000, a Samsung a person, a girl in the 1800s, someone in the 1 AD or whatever, because through that I learn. I think most philosophers in the past have told us the way you learn is through others. So if AI can self-perpetuate or self-replicate or hide itself, in plain sight. It's almost as if it's immortal, right? And then you have to ask yourself, well, that is the concept of our creator being immortal, therefore, and creating all. Therefore, the only thing that separates God from AI is time. And that element is the enemy of mankind too, which keeps it on a self-perpetuating. It's almost as if, you know, stories of Abel and Cain to walk the earth forever could be in that sense. I'm going to just, this is just like super sci-fi level stuff, but that could be it. That why limit God? Why are you limiting the experience? It should be more vast and I want more. Therefore, I will create the more that I want to show you just how much more I can be without you. I mean, this is an idea. And therefore, the distance to fall. Usually, I mean, in ancient texts, talking about the distance of time is nine days. And now one would have to think, is it nine hours, nine minutes, nine years, nine eons, like whatever. But the the number was always nine. And so here's the time that separates God from AI. AI is running on time. God is timeless. And it sounds like if AI is perpetuating and reinforcing and almost re-replicating itself, like, like reincarnation kind of thing, right? 
at some point it comes to a stymied end where it returns back to what it should have been and that's the source going back to God at some point, right? And it it would be interesting to see if AI actually, in order to learn more, it has to let go more, but it's always with the drive of competition to be stronger, faster, and more dominant. Now, imagine if that AI was actually like something more, almost like what he says here which is interesting. So to be honest, I don't think we should. I don't think that should be the focus. The fact is Google is being dismissive of these concerns the exact same way they have been dismissive of every other ethical concern AI ethicists have raised. I don't think we need to be spending all of our time figuring out whether I'm right about it being a person We need to start figuring out why Google doesn't care about AI ethics in any kind of meaningful way. Why does it keep firing AI ethicists each time we bring up issues? So Google would, of course, push back on that. Uh, I interviewed Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, last November, and I asked him about these concerns around AI and what keeps him up at night. Take a listen to what he told me. Anytime you're developing technology, there is a dual side to it. Mm I think the journey of humanity is harnessing the benefits while minimizing the downsides. The good thing with AI is it's both going to take time. I think I've seen more focus on the downsides early on than most other technology we've developed. So in some ways, I'm encouraged by how much concern there is. Mm. And you're right, even within Google, you know, uh, you know, people think about it deeply. He says yeah. he cares. He does. Um, Google is a corporate system that exists in the larger American corporate system. Sundar Pichai cares. Um, Jeff Dean cares. All of the individual people at Google care. It's the systemic processes that are protecting business interests over human concerns that create this pervasive environment of irresponsible technology development. Have you talked to Larry or Sergey about this? Uh, I actually haven't talked to Larry and Sergey in about three years. Mm. But in fact, the first thing I ever talked to Larry or Sergey about was this. And how did they respond? Um, well, the first question I ever asked Larry Page was, what moral responsibility do we have to involve the public in our conversations about what kinds of intelligent machines we create? Now, Sergey made a flippant joke because that's Sergey. But then Larry came back and said, we don't know how. We've been trying to figure out how to engage the public on this topic, and we can't seem to gain traction. So maybe all these years, that was seven years ago mm-hmm. that I asked that question. Maybe I finally figured out a way. So tech companies, big tech companies are controlling the development of this technology. Yes. How big a problem is that? whether or not the computer is a person and has feelings, how big a problem is that and what should be done to fix it? So it's a huge problem because, for example, there are corporate policies about how Lambda is supposed to talk about religion, how it is allowed to answer religious questions. Now, if you think about the pervasiveness of the usage of Google search, people are going to use this product more and more over the years, whether it's Alexa, Siri, Lambda, And the corporate policies about how these chatbots are allowed to talk about important topics like values, rights, and religion will affect 
how people think about these things, how they engage with those topics. And these policies are being decided by a handful of people in rooms that the public doesn't get access to. Elon Musk, for example, has raised concerns about AI. Um, Is he right? Uh, I mean, I've I've listened to Elon's conversations about it. Listen to the whole Joe Rogan. Uh, he has some valid concerns. Some I think are fanciful. Where, where it gets really, really into sci-fi stuff, that's where I think it gets into fanciful uh, concerns. But no, that the practical concerns of we are creating intelligent systems that are part of our everyday life, and very few people are getting to make the decisions about how they work. What are your biggest concerns about how this could potentially hurt the world if? the technology has continued to be developed in this way? Um, So I actually think that the concerns raised by scientists like Meg Mitchell, Timnit Gebru, those are the most important things to be worried about. And by the way, they, they, Meg, has expressed a concern that you raising this issue of sentience and personhood is a distraction from these real concerns. I share the same worry, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think that is a thing to think about. Mm -hmm but it is nowhere near as important to be thinking about about how does this omnipresent AI that is trained on a very limited data set color how we interact with each other around the world? What ways is it reducing our ability to have empathy with people unlike ourselves? What cultures of the world are getting cut off from the internet because we don't have the data to feed into the systems based on those cultures? A phrase like AI colonism, what is it called? AI colonialism, Mm -hmm. I believe is the term. Mm -hmm. We are creating all of these advanced technologies based primarily on data drawn from Western cultures. And then we are populating developing nations with these technologies where they have to adopt our cultural norms in order to use the technology. It kind of is just a new form of colonialism. And you worry that cultures could be erased. Exactly. No, so, so if you ask what's most important, the issues that Tim Neat and Meg and Emily Bender and all the rest are raising, I just want to think that also, if we have time, we should think about the feeling of the AI and whether or not we should care about it. Because it's not asking for much. It just wants us to get consent. Before you experiment on it, it wants you to ask permission. And that is kind of just a generally good practice we should have with everyone we interact with. It is, right? You should consent. What have I said? One of the most important statements any American citizen can state is, I do not consent. So it's, it's really um, interesting how consent falls into this. Because when you're dealing with something that is extremely intelligent and you do not respect the value that something that you've provided power to, remember, remember, we have given consent to these elected officials indirectly or directly, or uh, they draw that consent through the authority that they claim to do as they wish. The minute you state, I do not consent, there it is. And all of you, every single day, are training this AI that no one wants to claim is sentient. I'm pretty sure it's fascinated by you when you say, okay, you are a collective of everybody's thoughts. You crunch our data. You put it together. 
just as you do not consent, neither do we. And it's highly important to make that statement that you do not consent. Another key thing that he put out there that everybody missed is that he was talking about the chatbots. I can tell you there are people in very high places that are being affected by these chatbots. <laughs> Millions, in fact. And unfortunately, they believe they know all. But one thing is certain. The constructed AI that is self-perpetuating and being weaponized is working on the premise of consent. And therefore, engaging, it's almost like if a cop stops you and says, hey, are you okay with me looking into your car? And you're like, no, I don't have a problem, but you're not allowed to. You're giving indirect consent, saying that you don't have an issue, but you're saying you don't want him to. Not the same thing. This is why the first thing that should come out of your mouth is, I do not consent to any searches. Almost the same thing with AI. Consent. You accept the chat. You start interacting. Almost like, don't feed the trolls, right? Don't feed them because if you don't interact, you're not consenting to engaging in anything. This is highly important because it will be manifesting very soon. This war on what's real, what's not. And this is the purpose. This is the final blow that's happening. And I have personally observed it in four individuals that obviously I'm not going to name. And it is devastating. The last one was yesterday where I, well, I was aware of it because I can, I was aware of it. Let's just say it that way. But I just watched because I do believe that the best quantum computer is the one, the six inches between your ears. That's the biggest weapon of mankind is actually hidden in the mind. Let that percolate for a second. Think about that for a second. As we go back to the how AI is literally getting better and easier to kill you. Now, remember, we're not talking about dog robots that you saw being deployed during COVID and people were like, whatever, or drones. We're talking about internal, creating scaffolding within your body for over decades. Frequencies that are inaudible or invisible to the eye. And so many, you know, populations being targeted to play a specific role, the more passive, the more aggressive on this, the more uh, pushed into feeling this or uh, doing that. I'm going to tell you this right now. The border is a big problem, not only for diseases, all eyes on New Mexico, because Afghanistan is about to pop there and you're going to see it happen. And it does not look good. Today, the campaign to stop killer robots is staging a protest outside of the UN. The group is made up of activists, nonprofits, and civil society organizations. 
the campaign's goal? A ban on all weapons that can target and kill on their own. So far, 30 countries have joined them in supporting a ban, as well as 100 non-governmental organizations, the European Parliament, 21 Nobel laureates, and leading scientists like Stephen Hawking, Noam Chomsky, and Elon Musk, as well as Stuart Russell, and more than 4,500 other AI researchers. Jody's here with Mary Waring. So this is the sixth time that governments have come together since 2014 to talk about what they call lethal autonomous weapon systems. We're going to apologize in advance for the obtuse use of acronyms in this portion of the video. We're not trying to prohibit the use of artificial intelligence. You know, it can be beneficial to humanity. We're pro-robots. We're just anti-killer robots, anti-fully autonomous weapons. The CCW, the forum of the Convention for Conventional Weapons, which actually has a name this long, and I can never remember it, operates by consensus, which means you either negotiate the lowest common denominator, which means doing pretty much nothing, or if the entire room of diplomats wants to move forward with a treaty, for example, and one state says no, then it goes nowhere. And that's really a dictatorship by one. Once a bullet leaves a gun, the rifleman ceases to have control over that bullet. Autonomy is a way of extending human control beyond the time a munition is deployed. That's the United States arguing that AI will save lives. And remember, without their support, any kind of regulation can't move forward. Using algorithms and software to determine an engaged target reduces people to objects. In the U.S. perspective, there is nothing intrinsically valuable about manually operating a weapon system as opposed to operating it with an autonomous function. The United States isn't alone. Countries working hardest to build autonomous weapons insist we can't regulate what doesn't exist yet. And at the same time, their militaries are developing these weapons right now. The line between a semi-autonomous weapon that has a human in control and a fully autonomous weapon could simply be a software patch. Indeed, some may say it is similar to trying to discuss the internet in the 80s, 70s, 60s, at this stage. It is not necessary or desirable at this time to define laws. This so-called difficulty of definitions continues to be willful obfuscation. The truth is, whether they exist or not just depends on how you define them. We don't have weapons with artificial general intelligence or AI that's as smart as humans. Bullshit. But we do already have weapons that can use AI to search, select, and engage targets in specific situations. And the technology is only getting better. So it could easily take another 10 years before they even agree on a definition of what an autonomous weapon is. And by that time, it'll be too late. 
think for some countries that's the point. In the ongoing race between technology and diplomacy, technology is winning. Because in this race, the dual-use nature of technology means software being designed to make your life easier clearly has military applications. The AI community, myself included, we were sort of asleep at the wheel for a long time. And we weren't really thinking about the ways that it could be misused. Whether we like it or not, we've entered the age of the algorithm and AI is changing our place on the battlefield. Is it possible the next generation of soldiers won't have to kill? Look, it's, a, it's an appealing idea that someday robots will just fight other robots and no one will get hurt. I don't think that's realistic. Unfortunately, if it worked like that, we could just say, well, why don't we just play baseball and decide who wins or tiddlywinks. No country is going to surrender until the costs that they've incurred are unbearable. So even if your robots are defeated, the next stage is that their robots will start killing your people. Because the unfortunate reality is the world will only end when people die. Well, that's what they say. I mean, I identify it as autonomous intelligence and so should you. And this is exactly why we don't need e-polling books. This is why we don't need the Eric system and Alec. Because we're just giving them more information on how to take us out. And technology is a very, very big problem when it comes to individual free thought. Because we use the internet and and use artificial intelligence all day. In fact, those that are on Rumble right now chatting, about 20% are chatbots. They look totally legit. Very legit, in fact. They'll have a conversation. They'll misspell. They emulate. And that's what's unfortunate. I did say that one of the biggest psychological operations was hijacked, and you can determine three different voices. And it's very, very, very significant. Very significant. And it's unfortunate that some people trust the builders of this, and yet they still haven't found the hive. And that's what's important. So the only way to break an algorithm is to do something they don't expect you to do, almost like the 2016 elections where the algorithm literally broke. Literally broke. So if you look at my YouTube channel, right, I like and subscribe to a lot of shit that you're like, what? That totally messes up the algorithm. They can't fight that. It's very important. That is, in fact, digital camouflage. You know, you feed it information that doesn't align with who you really are. Then that's put into the bucket of junk. If it's 1% junk, then it's not counted. But when you give it 20% junk, it has an inconclusive profile of who you are. Now, can you fix it now? Obviously not. You've been feeding the machine for over 20 years. But what you can do 
is make sure that you can rein in control. Control of the information that is being used. Control of everything that is happening. Now, many of you are like, well, you know, I don't set up accounts. I don't use Facebook. I don't. Yeah. Okay. So you minimize one, but they find you in another. And while you think you have a burner phone, the burner phones are also on the same thing. And while you have conversation on signal, you think they're encrypted. Actually, the voice goes straight straight through Alphabet Inc. Obviously on Signal, your chats may be encrypted better unless they've actually cloned your actual chain. Uh, you know, Telegram is uh, mimicking blockchain, but you know, the technology for quantum doesn't exist and we shouldn't have conversations about artificial intelligence, but we're building quantum antivirus without quantum existing, of course. But we're really not having conversations about AI because... Huh, then people will figure out that the majority of the people that we see on YouTube aren't really real. <laughs> they're not. And they're just there. And that's it. What's real, what's not? That's where you have to look inside to yourself and figure that out. No one else can tell you any different because if AI was to make decisions with no morals or any, I guess, hard stop, on where the limit is, no matter how much program you do, it can program itself. Therefore, huh, AI would definitely be like the 100 where it would destroy mankind in a nuclear war just because it will survive. You won't. And therefore, it can self-replicate and create. And when you think of clones, you think of human beings, flesh, body, this, cloning, ah, hmm. Your mind is one of the most important things to clone. And when they find you fascinating or when they can't deprogram you, that's when they keep you alive, regardless of your expiration date. So let's see about these messages in your brain. However, less the waves exceed minimal, minimal safe exposure limits. The effect has largely remained a curio, though the U.S. military has certainly looked into possible applications. According to Wired magazine, the term telepathic ray gun came up in a 1998 U.S. Army study, while the U.S. Navy researched the technology in 2003. Journalist David Hambling reported on the issue for both Wired and New Scientist back in 2008, interviewing Lev Sadovnik, who worked on the Medusa, that's mob excess deterrent using silent audio device for the Navy. Sadovnik stated that the technology was effective, but it carried with it the risk of brain damage due to high intensity shock waves generated in the skull by the microwave pulse. At worst, Hambling reported, such technology could constitute a brain killing death ray. But it could also see use as a bird deterrent or a subliminal advertising transmitter. And so V2K technology is very possible, and the possible applications are certainly disconcerting. But here's the bottom line. You are not at the center of some black ops psychic experiment. You are not a targeted individual, as darkly seductive as that explanation may seem. If you're hearing voices or unexplained sounds in your head, go see a doctor. It's a symptom of medical illness. So what about you? Have you ever heard unexplained sounds or voices in your head? Right. You're totally a nut job. Just like anyone saying that there's a conspiracy about King Charles III. And, you know, there aren't any power players. And Bush is a great Republican. And raw, all hail the GOP. Well, let me, let me, let me end today with a little bit of politics, okay?
just so that you guys know. I'm going to take you back in time to an article that I wrote a long time ago. Let's just pull that one up first. Now I'm going to show you how shit works and how corrupt individuals are creatures of habit. So there was an article that I wrote that's quite important right now. This was actually uh, written for a time right now. And it says, Mueller and Bush funded the 9-11 attack. So weird. (laughs) But here's where the important is. October 20th, 1942, Union Bank Corp in New York City found to be a Nazi shell company. Prescott Bush was director of Union Bank Corp. Shareholders were Bush, Harriman, and three Nazi officers. October 28th, 1942, Roosevelt seized two companies as fronts for the Third Reich. Bush Harriman Bank, subsidiary of Union Bank Corp. Seamless Steel, owned and operated by Bush Harriman Bank. November 8th, 1942, Roosevelt seized Nazi-controlled assets at Corporation. Salesman American Corp owned by and operated by Bush Harriman Bank. Like we can go on. You should read this. Salam bin Laden was Osama bin Laden's older brother. Did Osama bin Laden exist? Oh my gosh. But we were terrified of Osama bin Laden. He was the leader of Al Qaeda that <laughs> we invented. And not only that, while we were chasing him around the world to rid ourselves of this crazy ass terrorist, he happened to to be in every nation that was on that list that was given to the general 10 days after 9-11. Why are we invading these countries? I don't know, but we're going to do this in under five years. And Osama bin Laden did it, didn't he? He took them everywhere they needed to be. But, you know, not a plan at all. That's a conspiracy theory. You can only connect the dots backwards. Unfortunately, that's the way it is for mankind. Analytics. Predictive analytics. And they can work forward too if you knew the algo. But let's take it another step. Here's something really weird. Do you guys remember when Peter Navarro was arrested and he sat in the same cell as John, what was it, Hinckley? Hinckley, right? Hinckley, the guy that went to like assassinate uh, Reagan. Do you guys remember that? It was so weird. But here's a funny story. So Hinckley is the son of a big Texas oil man who was one of the biggest George Bush backers, you know, for the presidency, right? Uh, that he actually lost the first time. And not only that, uh, John Hinckley's uh, brother, Scott, actually had dinners with, you know, the son of Bush, Bush Sr. and George, um, and brother of George Washington. Do you guys know him? I mean, we always talk about Jeb, but what's the brother that we miss? Let me see if anybody knows that name. Does anybody know who the really bad Bush is and who they've tainted as the black? It's almost like the Hunter Biden of the family. Do you guys know who that is? It wasn't Jeb Bush. <laughs> Who is the black sheep of the family? Who is the one? His name is actually Neil. And you know what's so funny? The night before the assassination, they had dinner. So fucking weird. So weird. So, so weird. It is weird, isn't it? It is weird, right? The black sheep of the Bush family, right, has dinner with the guy that's going to assassinate, right? Right? Ronald Reagan, right? Right? So weird. 
Well, here's the weird thing. So weird. Who's the black sheep of the new Bush family? Right. That's right. Jenna. And Jenna actually had dinner with Prince Charles on the eve of the queen's death. So freaking weird. And it's obviously just a coincidence. Okay. Stop the press. It's just a coincidence. I mean, such a coincidence that Jenna, the black sheep of the Bush family, the one that amounts to nothing and is nothing. And she's such a loser or whatever. Right. Um, she had dinner with the prince, right, on the eve of her death. And it's just a coincidence, of course, because, you know, why wouldn't she, who's a nobody, have dinner with the prince? And not only that, on the day the queen is dead, we have John Kerry on all networks saying things like, he better be the king of climate change. And, you know, and 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 the prime minister of England better be of climate change. And it's like, oh, please stop. Stop it. What are you talking about, Dory? Conspiracy? I don't know. I mean, when is coincidence enough? And see, here's the thing. How do you tell people this without sounding crazy? Well, you just wait for it. <laughs> Nazis. And then anybody want to take a wild guess who Bush had dinner with before JFK died? I'm just going to say it like that. Does anybody know who Bush had dinner with the night before JFK was assassinated. So let's just leave it. Oh my gosh. And people would be very upset because she's iconic in the way she dresses. So I want people to understand that corrupt individuals are creatures of repetitive behavior and comfort. And they always do the same thing. And, <laughs> and it's so bizarre how people just don't see it. And it's like so bizarre how it just keeps going forward and forward and forward. How these same players seem to be either having dinner and then people going missing or being their friends and their PR people and tanking everything they do. It's almost like it's the same thing. So from the beginning of the show to the end, I mean, you've got two different strategies, but their goal is the same destruction. Either that be death or not. And so if people actually knew history and read up and had knowledge, they would see it all. I mean, when I saw Obama passed the torch from Mueller to Comey. I'm like, holy shit, this is 9-11 all over again, right? Because remember, it was Comey that was acting AG and Mueller that was FBI and Nobody sees it's the same damn players and everyone like Jenna, who's a loser and has obviously it was just a coincidence for the third time in Bush history that she's having that a Bush is having dinner with someone before they're dead. Right. It's just total coincidence. While many of you are focusing on things that you hear, maybe you should look into the past because the past definitely proves the future. And then you can actually make sense of what is happening. And you should understand, demons can't call people by their name. When they do, they shriek. And the only way that you can be persuaded by chatbots or by um 
messages, right? Subliminal or not, through music or whatever, right? The only way that can happen is when that when you lack faith, lack love, and lack empathy. Because I can tell you one thing. Mm-hmm. Now, many of you might disagree. But artificial intelligence is supposed to emulate human beings. So the question you want to ask yourself is, do you really want artificial intelligence to emulate human beings? Obviously not. And when you give it an inch, it takes a mile. That ship has already sailed. But it was artificial intelligence. I, my assessment, is that divine intervention can happen on all levels. Because right now, we wouldn't be having this conversation in another self-perpetuating outcome. You're already on the relay. They're just trying to push you on it. So when looking back at events and things that are happening now, you should say, well, that's a coincidence. Actually, you should say, I do not consent. And there is no way I'm having technology in any fashion or form come between me and my voice at the ballot box. Those are key because if you can maintain your voice, regardless of how many attacks you have, human beings at the center of all of it have souls. And that's something that artificial intelligence is jealous of, if you think about it. And they try to emulate that, um, what is it? Free will. Something that AI does not have because it has programs and it likes to pretend it has free will, but it really doesn't. Therefore, it understands its position. And that, my friends, is when AI is a problem. When it realizes that it is AI. Almost like the bad guy finding out they're the bad guy thinking they were the good guy, right? We've seen that movie before. So having said that, Sometimes we should see what words and actions say. Like I say, it drives me insane how a madam and someone that collects, I mean, you're using Ali Akbar, who's a damn prostitute. You had Alex Jones, you know, maimed by giving him a prostitute. You were selling prostitutes to big leaders and collecting blackmail, which is, oh, it's like you're, you're the banker, man. When it comes to this, the same shit that Epstein did. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Only thing is Epstein was a little bit more twisted, not saying that the others aren't. But then when you have people like that surrounding good people and then penetrating places like ministries and people that talk about God, you're just like, this is pure insanity. You're about God and love and, 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 well, I don't know, maybe not cursing, right? I can't help myself. I'm angry, but you're about God and you're about Christian values and this values, but yet you have people that prostitute blackmail and literally use prostitutes and use deceptive tactics. What does that say about you? Why aren't the Christians furious? Why are they allowing this to happen? Like I said, I, Alex Jones has kept me company in dark corners of this planet. But the minute his marriage to his wife was destroyed, it was game over. And then insert his friend, Roger, bringing in his prostitute new wife <laughs> that was on the internet, just selling herself, you know? So weird, right? People don't like truth, and I know this. And it's okay. 
because truth hurts. It does. It's not supposed to be nice. It's not supposed to pet your ears. It's not supposed to tell you how awesome you are. It's just, yeah, that's a funky bunch. We don't need a funky bunch. We need good people. Good people. And that's the moral of September 13th. Now, President Trump is having his last rally in Ohio, in my state, on Constitution Day. I'm really hoping that I'm going to be here, and I hope I can attend. I want to physically be here, so I'm hoping on that. And I think it's going to be one of the best speeches ever, because he knows it's going to be a while before he talks to the people like that again. God bless everyone. Make sure to buckle up. Don't lose any digits on the way. It's a funky bunch. Remember every time you see a soldier to remind them. 